King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, and the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down in worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order 
was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. With you this morning, again, my name is Caleb. Uh, And so I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, Happy New Year. Year. Thank you for your unquestioning obedience. (laughs) Um, Advent is the start of the Christian calendar. I know we normally wait to say Happy New Year till January, uh, but we as Christians, we follow the Christian calendar and we start our year anticipating the arrival of Christ. And so Advent is this time where we look backwards when, when Christ first came in a, a lowly manger, but then also we look forward to when he's going to come again in undeniable power and glory with swords and stars and keys, and nobody will be able to um, be like Nebuchadnezzar and say, not for me. And, and so Advent is this time for us to embrace, um, and this series, Till He Appeared, it's all about these theophanies where, where God appears in the Old Testament in pillars of fire and pillars of clouds and in a fiery furnace in today's text. So so let's go ahead and turn our attention there. And you probably know this text, you know this story because it's a a great story and it was one of my favorite VeggieTale VHSs. A a really good one on repeat. Um, If you go to the Vatican Museum, you can see Christian sarcophaguses from the fourth century where Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego are praising God in the fire. It's really cool. Google it later, or you'll probably Google it right now <laughs> since you all have phones. But it is really, it's really neat. And Christians have been drawing courage and comfort from this very passage, this story, for centuries. And if you're a note taker, uh, I want to submit this truth for your consideration today. You can write this down. When God appears, the humble are vindicated and the prideful are humiliated. When God appears, the humble are vindicated and prideful are humiliated. We're gonna break down this 
passage like this, command, conflict, conclusion. So starting with the command that you heard, after all those instruments, you need to bow down to this image. That's what these people were told. You need to bow down to this image of Nebuchadnezzar, and whoever doesn't will be thrown into a fiery furnace. So like many ancient rulers, King Nebuchadnezzar thought of himself as divine. He, he thought of himself as more than just a, a man. He was appointed by the gods, and he himself was a god, which is why he would make a statue 90 feet tall of himself. Could you imagine a 90-foot tall statue of yourself? And then say, yes, it'd be great for you all to worship it. That's pride. And, and we see in verse 2, there's this word dedication. It's the same word from Ezra talking about reopening the temple. So this isn't just a, a mere formal occasion. This is a religious one. It's, it's one about worship. And if you're going to bow down to this image, you're not just bowing down to, to respect the king, but actually worship the king along with the gods that the king is worshiping. And if you don't do this, the punishment is death by burning, a very well-attested means of execution in the Old Testament. And so herein lies the conflict for our three guys, right? If we don't bow to this image, if we don't worship this foreign god, then we will be thrown into the fiery furnace. And there's some tattletales called the Chaldeans. And the, Chal the Chaldeans come to the king and they say this, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And notice how they describe them. And I think they, they're using this in a derogatory way. There are certain Jews. This is a way for them not not just to slight these three people, but all the Jews within the, the Babylon province. A way to say, yeah, all these people, they are not worthy of being put in positions that you've put them in, king. And, and I think that them highlighting their Jewish identity is good for us, too. It's because of their identity that they knew who they would bow to and who they wouldn't bow to. And it's the same thing for us. When we know who and whose we are, that changes what we'll bend our knee to, right? That changes what we worship, what we value, because our, our purpose, our core values, all these flow from our identity. And, and so at this, the king is furious, right? That because these three would not bow. The king is filled with fury, and he calls the three of them, calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to himself, and he says he'll give them another chance. One more chance. But if you do not worship, the king says, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Isn't that statement dripping with pride? Who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? There is none more powerful than me. Who could possibly save you? But remember who King Nebuchadnezzar is at the time. The, the world had never seen a, a, a kingdom like Babylon. A, and never had this much power. That, there's never been a city that, that's this big. And, and he's the most powerful person on the planet. And his 
it seems like his favorite form of punishment, he's mentioned it twice just in this passage, torn from limb to limb and have their house laid in ruins. This man was erratic. Right? And if you go back to Daniel 2, people can't interpret his dreams, so guess what the punishment is? Limb from limb and house in ruins. This is a, a scary combination. The, the, he has the utmost authority, and he's rash. This is like a two-year-old running around with a knife. It's a bad combination. It's a scary combination. But if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are scared, their words don't show it at all, do they? This is what they say. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Could you imagine standing in front of the most powerful, rash person in the world with that kind of courage? Their loyalty to God included their willingness to die rather than serve a foreign deity. Their loyalty to God allowed them to, to say, yes, even my life is not worth living if I have to worship something else. And, and notice they don't have any sense of entitlement about God's physical rescue of them. Right? They, they say, God may save us, or he may not. You may give us another chance to bow down, or, or you may not. It doesn't matter. Either way, we will not serve anyone or anything. We won't bow our knee to anything but the creator of the heavens and the earth, the Lord Most High. Nothing else, no one else, only the God Most High. And that is some bold, courageous faith. And that is why this is a story that's given us comfort and courage for centuries. And at, at this, the king is just filled with fury. Filled with fury. He orders the furnace seven times hotter. They're, they're bound and thrown in, and even the men throwing them in die in the flames. People who were willing to bow to the image. And I want you to try for a moment to put yourself in the, the sandals of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Try to, try to think of what their life has been like up to this point. And you need to know this happens in the context of the Babylonian exile. So in, in 587 BC, Nebuchadnezzar comes to Jerusalem. He ransacks the place. He lays it in ruins. His favorite thing to do. He takes all the, all the sacred articles from the temple, all the gold, and he carries it back. But along with looting for things, for treasure, he also takes the best and the brightest. If you read Daniel 1, he, he says, take all the most handsome men. Take all the most talented men, all the ones who are able to learn. Take the most competent and, and let's bring them back with us. And, and by the way, this is like a 900-mile distance. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, while they're teenagers probably, are taken from Jerusalem. Their homeland burned. Their temple razed, destroyed, looted. And then their families left behind. They take these three men 
and probably force him to march 900 miles all the way to, to Babylon. And so they've been living in darkness and captivity since then. And they, once they get there, they're forced to learn Babylon literature. They're, they're forced to have new names. They're given new names. And the whole point is they're trying to eradicate this Jewish identity. Let's get them rid of that, that, that faith that they once had. And let's get them to buy into Babylonian values, into Babylonian culture. They're going to move our empire forward. They're going to worship who we worship. And Babylon was a fast-paced, diverse, full of new technology, and full of confusion about good and evil. Does that culture sound familiar at all? Let me, let me read that again. Babylon was fast-paced, pluralistic, diverse, and a culture full of new technology and confusion about good and evil. We are living there, right? And for, for Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, for, for them to think there's only one God, one decider of good and evil, and, and only one ultimate being that they would bow their knee to, that was radically against the grain of the culture. And they've been living in this for years, almost two decades at this point. And I think it's really easy for us, so we just flip a few pages and we read, and, and we can skip right over their darkness and dwell on their deliverance and how incredible that is. But they've lived day in, day out, 18 years in this darkness up to this point. Darkness, captivity, and now they're being forced, threatened, you need to worship this foreign god. It's time for you to give up your faith altogether. You need to, to bend to us. So don't skip over their darkness. And I think our, our culture wants to skip over darkness all the time. I, I know for me, Advent, and specifically the darkness of Advent, ha has saved Christmas. Uh, about five years ago, I started embracing Advent season. And, and really this... The, the darker side of it, of that there's, there's wrong in the world. I looked at Christmas and I thought, man, it's way too shiny. There's all these lights, all this vague positivity, all this optimism and, and parties and jolliness, and I just thought, ugh. It was just, it just felt like a really thin veneer, a, a thin cover, a shell for Western consumerism. And, and I was growing more and more cynical, more grinchy about Christmas. And, and I see why people move towards cynicism. Because cynicism is like, it almost feels like a virtue, doesn't it? Like, at least I'm being authentic. At least I can see through what's happening here. But, but cynicism for Christians, that's not, it's not our answer to turn towards cynicism. That is a, a road without hope, separate from Christ. And so really for, for Christians, our answer is to mourn the darkness. Our answer is to embrace this darkness and, and that, that we, along with 
centuries of, of Christian spiritual heroes. We can live in the darkness. We can live in captivity. We can live counterculturally and, and glorify God in that season. In that season. It, and I know for, for a lot of us growing up, at least for me, Advent was like a countdown to Christmas. <laughs> Advent was, uh, I get to eat 25 pieces of chocolate from a cardboard calendar. And, and I didn't understand the depth of what my dad was trying to tell me about Advent or what, what the church was trying to tell me about Advent. And I think there's really, if we reflect on the darkness, it feels like darkness is winning. And there's a time for honest reflection about that. Like, I, I hate being broken, that I can't walk, that I can't do things on my own. Like, that is part of the brokenness of shattered shalom. And and that really is so minimal compared to, to people living around the world. I, so earlier in the week, prior to breaking my, uh, rupturing my Achilles, I was watching this uh, documentary about polio. And these men, women, children are crawling on gravel. Or they have these makeshift crutches. Or they definitely don't have a scooter. They're crawling on gravel into streams to drink out of or into streams to play or, or wash in that are filled with sewage. And so as I'm, I'm crawling through my house on carpet into a hot shower, I'm like, this really is not so bad. But around the world, there's darkness. There's, there's physical darkness, but then there's these emotional Emotional darkness, it's not hard to see. I, I, why is it so hard for us to give and receive love? Some of us are just working through some emotional baggage or family of origin stuff, and it's so hard to, to receive love. Why? That should be so natural. But when the attention, when, when genuine love is on me, I feel uncomfortable. Why? Because the world is not the way it's supposed to be. That's darkness. That's shalom is shattered. And the, and the whole world is aching for redemption. Creation is groaning for more. We were, we were made for, for more. Some of you are parenting kids and, it, and you're being disciplined and consistent and loving. And it just feels like there's been no progress made in their rebellious hearts. That's darkness. And so maybe for, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, maybe even at this point, they're, they're thinking, I've lived two decades of this. If God saves me, great. If not, I'm ready. I don't know what they were thinking. But either way, they had this courageous faith. And, and Advent, even Advent with this darkness, it invites us to embrace this spiritual discipline we all hate, right? Waiting. Longing, hoping, aching for, for restoration. And as we consider our darkness, just like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, as they consider their darkness, they're ready for the one true light. Verse 24, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? 
They answered and said, True, O king, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Remember that King Nebuchadnezzar is a polytheist, so he says son of the gods. But the author of Daniel is communicating something to us that we already know. There's only one God. There's only one son of God. There's only one true light of the world. And and that one true son of God, he came and he took the ultimate fire for us. He took the wrath of God, the punishment we deserve, the separation. He came on our behalf to start this process of redemption. To, to do the, the beginning work, to become the first fruit. He took on the death we deserve to die. And the light of the world is extinguished. So that in him we might become the light of God. Jesus takes the ultimate fire for us. But, but not only that, he's also in the fire with us. Whatever you're suffering in, whatever you're suffering through, God is in the fire with you. He's not a far-off God who's just watching from a distance. He is a personal God who, who comes to be in the fire with us. If you're, if you're suffering as a, a parent, and God knows exactly what that's like. If you just want what's best for your child and they keep rebelling, God knows that pain and he's with you in that pain. If you had one less person at your Thanksgiving meal this year, God knows what that's like. God's mourning with you. He's near to the brokenhearted. If you're weeping over your own brokenness, God is weeping with you. He is in the fire with you. One of my favorite passages of scripture. It's a great memory verse too. Jesus wept. But, but Jesus is, he's going to see Lazarus who has died and he weeps. He's a personal God. He's not far off. He weeps with us. He is in the fire with us. And, and miraculous deliverance from suffering isn't normative, right? Most people go into the fire and are burned. And that's still happening around the world. But even in, in that, God is with them. God is with us in our suffering. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not around, not bridge over it, not, not tunnel or need, not cyber truck through. I walk. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And you are with me. And so whatever you're walking through right now, whatever fire you're in, God is in it with you. And stay humble because in the end, you will be vindicated for your faith in Christ. In the end, you will be vindicated while the prideful topple and they are truly burned. The, the humble who cling to Christ, who, who stay dependent, who, who will not bow to anything else, they are vindicated in the end. You'll never regret, in the end, the times you gave up freedoms for the gospel. 
you'll never regret times where you didn't bow to whatever culture was telling you to worship. You will be vindicated. The humble are vindicated. And when God appears, when Jesus comes back, and when all the, the longing that we are experiencing now, that, that will be worth it. In that moment, we will, we will absolutely have no doubts whether we serve the right king or not. And Jesus comes, and he'll establish his kingdom, and, and we'll be welcomed. Stay humble. You will be vindicated. Pray with me.